0: Context, confusion, and commitment. That might just give you a handle about where I'm going. So if I get stuck on context and 25 minutes have gone, you better start praying, because we've got half an hour to finish what is a precious, precious section. Less than two years that I had the privilege of actually standing where this biblical passage is set. It was a very emotionally moving occasion. Scores, if not hundreds of people, were actually being baptized in exactly the same place where Jesus was baptized. Now we've talked In his own inimitable style, Richard did John the Baptist last week, and I found that fascinating and really interesting. And wonderful setting, and in a sense, the children have already preached the sermon. But that doesn't mean you're getting away without some more. There's quite a strong tradition that John the Baptist may have had connections with the Essene community down at Qumran. If you go down on the bus from Jerusalem to Jericho and turn right on the way to Masada, just five miles down that road on the right, there is what is the Qumran community. They were Essenes. Now you know a lot about Pharisees and you know a lot about Sadducees, but you probably know much less about uh, Essenes. And it's certainly, I'm not saying here that John the Baptist was an Essene, but he certainly came out of that spirituality that realized that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that was represented in the way things were functioning then when Jesus came had missed the whole point. They compromised their faith massively. the Essenes went into community they were almost like pre monastic movement they went and they retreated and they were waiting for Messiah to come and they knew that the kingdom of God was very near and they practiced ritual purification they practiced a form of baptism and interesting parallels John the Baptist, we were reminded, uh, Richard reminded us, had been promised by Isaiah. There were allusions in other parts of the scripture that before Messiah came, there would come one like Elijah. Well, he was like Elijah. And if you want actually a really interesting Bible study, you do a comparison between Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus and Elijah and Elisha. And there is a fascinating series of parallels there which is striking 400 years of silence had gone had disappeared and then comes John and if I ask you the focus of John most of you will have picked up repent and of course that was absolutely central to what he was on about he was talking about people changing their mind, metanoia, turning round back to face God in a living personal way. But it wasn't just an attitude of the heart that was always starts there, but it was an attitude of the life. A person proves their repentance by what they do. It's not a word, it's an action. Like love is not a word, it's an action and you know the dominant thing about if you read carefully about john the baptist was not so much about repentance of course it was the thing that people heard and the people responded to but if you read the text carefully you'll find coming through all the time is this promise of the coming of the kingdom and this promise of the coming of the holy spirit absolutely dominant in john's preaching It resonates back to Isaiah. You can go and look in chapter 42. It resonates even more fully back to Ezekiel. Now, if you understand Ezekiel, come and explain it to me later. Because apocalyptic language in Ezekiel is incredibly complicated. But when you get past the rather unusual way in which things were presented with a sort of vivid imagery, and of course that resonates with some people, some people see in visual images much more clearly than they do in conceptual thought. When you get to that point, you begin to understand there's something very important being said by Ezekiel. And if you look in 36 and 37 and 39, you'll find that dominant theme about the promise of a new heart, the promise of a new spirit to live within you. So the Spirit isn't suddenly just appear in Matthew 1. 1. The Spirit was dominant throughout the Old Testament. And again, I haven't got time to explore that this morning. Most of you will know, because it's quoted in the New Testament, that lovely little verse in Joel, that promise that he would pour out his Spirit on the Jews. No, it didn't say that. Here was one of the Jewish prophets understanding that the pouring of the Spirit was for the world. That's why Uganda is relevant. That's why India is relevant. That's why Syria is relevant. That's why the Middle East is relevant. That's why Europe is relevant. It's actually why Bridge North is relevant. Because if it hadn't been that, none of you are Jews here to the best of my knowledge, and I most certainly am not. This little faith would have been locked inside a land, and that was what happened in the early church. But I'm digressing. Preachers are allowed to do that, I'm told. But they do anyway, whether they're allowed to or not. In my thinking... I'm using a phrase here about the context and about John the Baptist with his emphasis on repentance, his emphasis on the coming of the Spirit with warmth and illumination and purification. I'm, I'm wanting to say, if you can encapsulate this in a phrase, that John was emphasizing that religion is about relationship, not about ritual. Did you get that? Religion is about relationship, not about ritual. And that is as true here in Bridge North as it is wherever you go in the world, and I have that privilege. Religion, true religion. Hebraic understanding of religion. It's about relationship. Yeah, that relationship, first of all, with God, It's about relationship with each other. It's about actually relationship with myself. And if I may say so, forgive my hobby horse, it's about our relationship to creation. When did you last hear a sermon on ecology? We have fouled up this planet in the most unimaginable, offensive way. Sorry, I feel passionately about. But that's what that relationship with God, with myself, with others, and yes, with his creation. I watch brokenhearted at what's being allowed because Russia and America can't agree to absolutely plaster Syria. That, as you know, is the end result of political decisions made by Blair and Bush sorry, true, in exploding yet again the sheer and the sunny tension. And if you need clarification on that little tirade, you can ask me. Context. Confusion. I'm going to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. If it was a theological class, I'd probably do this and insist that you talk back to me, but I think that mightn't be quite the right approach here. Here's the second point, the point about confusion, and here's the question. Why did Jesus get baptized and don't think the answer's simple it is and it isn't why did jesus get baptized john the baptist was his cousin And Jesus, Richard made this point for us. We absolutely know nothing about what had been happening to Jesus between the time in the temple and when he bursts on the scene. Well, there is a lot of what we call apocryphal, non-canonical material that. Some of it looks incredibly spurious. Some of it is tantalizing in terms of the fact that it could indicate some of the things that might have gone on, but we know nothing. Let's assume, I think it's not a massive leap of faith, let's assume that Jesus was being a very good carpenter. I think he was a creator, so I think he might have been a very good carpenter. Yes? I suspect so. Up in Nazareth, about where I was two years ago, it's about, a mire. It's about an hour's journey from the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret, And from the baptismal pool where John did his baptisms, it's probably another half an hour by bus. And I make that point for a very simple reason because, look, this is what the text says. Then Jesus came to Galilee. Now, I'm a thinker, a feeler, I would love to get behind that text John's gospel tells us the other gospels tell us that Jesus did exactly what the father told him to do yes so somewhere when he was involved in Nazareth a sense on his spirit must have being so strong that he came from Nazareth to Galilee at the instigation of his father. So you see, the initiative all along here lies with God the Father and the obedience of God the Son. So Jesus turns up. Why did Jesus get baptized I was baptized when I was 15 on the same day as that beautiful lady who is now my wife I did have eyes for her even then but that's another story that's not part of the sermon definitely not part of the sermon. I was 15 years old I had been dramatically converted at least I thought it was dramatic, I can take you to the place on Blackpool Promenade where the Holy Spirit came upon me in the first time, that first experience of being born again and being filled with the Spirit. And I knew I needed to be baptized. I think I was fairly aware of being a sinner. We grew up in a spirituality where guilt was played very strongly. And uh, anyone else? Guilt with their background? So they knew, I knew very well I was a sinner. And I probably thought I was a pretty serious sinner. I have to say with a little hindsight, I don't think he was quite as bad as I thought at the time. But real nonetheless. But why did Jesus get baptized? Nobody ever ever in biblical material or extra canonical material no one ever accused him of sin that's not that sin of missing or breaking the law and that's that's even sin of omission i mean you know that i've left undone those things i ought to have done that sort of area of sin no one ever accused him of that One of the things I love to do with students uh, when I've got them on a concentrated time is to, when they think they know a little bit about theology, is to ask them the question, which is the most important event, Jesus' baptism or his time on the cross? And they, as they get to know me, know very well that they've got to be very careful how they answer that one. But I'm asking you. Which is more important, Jesus' baptism or his self-sacrifice of himself on the cross? Now, I know you're going to tell me they're both important and that's a very good answer, but you haven't answered the question. And the answer to the question is, I don't know the answer. And neither will you ever because they're so intimately entwined because what Jesus was doing fundamentally in his baptism was exactly, listen to this exactly the same thing as when he hung on the cross well not exactly I mustn't get away, there's plenty of theologians here not exactly But he was identifying with us, was he not? That's what he did on the cross. He took his sins upon his body and in his body and he identified with us and he took the cost of all of that when he bore our sins and carried our sorrows on the cross. It's exactly what he did when he was being baptized. He was being identified with us. If Jesus needs or needed to fulfill his ministry by being baptized. I cannot understand, Richard, you said it so clearly, how anyone here could make any case for not being a baptized believer. I'm a Baptist minister. I'm paid to say that. No, I'm not. That's from my heart. You cannot make a case If Jesus submitted himself to identification with the process of purification, why would you not? Why would I not? Context. Confusion. We're doing all right with time, Carol, so we're okay. Thirdly, commitment now there are two strands to the rest of the story one of which I have no intention of talking about because it is so wonderful and complicated and if I start here uh, you won't get home for next Sunday's lunch, let alone this one but there is the most perfect revelation, I don't know a better, clearer biblical picture of Trinity than occurs here. Right? God the Son, submitting to baptism. God the Father, speaking from heaven. Where else in Scripture, you can do this, is this your homework? Where else in Scripture do you hear of, or know of, or the writer records, that God the Father spoke but he did Here, and of course the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus see Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill the work of mission so let me say the obvious you never ever ever can be involved in mission meaningfully where you're at Bridge North, Uganda, wherever, without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is <sighs> called the go-between God. When I first went for Baptist accreditation, I went down to be interviewed uh, by uh, Maurice West, Principal at Bristol Baptist College. And uh, he wanted to find out about me and he asked me what I was reading. And I'd been reading an Alastair MacLean book, Where Eagles Dare. We took about 20 minutes discussing the subplot and the genre of uh, Where Eagles Dare. And then he said, oh, by the way, how did you get on with that book, The Go Between God, which was the one we were supposed to be talking about. So it's vividly, but the Holy Spirit is the go between God. I mean, there's many other things. You can talk about him as paraclete, John does. But he's the go-between God. He's the one who comes from the Father and comes to the Son and comes through the Son to us. Dare I say you're actually living incarnate of the living God this morning. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, sloppy theological language, don't critique it. But it's true. That's what it means to be born again, to be spirit-filled. But I'm not gonna talk about that, you can think about that. I'm gonna talk about the voice. So difficult. So profound. As I say, I can't think of uh, of another biblical reference immediately, come and correct me afterwards, where we have a record of God's... Jesus was the Word, right? So the fact that we've got words of Jesus, I've got Matthew's Gospel, I'm looking at chapter 7 and chapter 8 in Uganda with them, and doing some work on prosperity doctrine and false... Jesus was the Word. The spoken Word, the written Word, the living Word. but here we have God speaking and God's words when they come are pregnant with meaning absolutely pregnant God never wastes a word for some of us who are are characterized by almost verbal diarrhea I'm speaking about myself God's words are incredibly thought through. He says two things about his son. Here it is in the text. As he came out of the water, and I love the imagery, and it's been explained to us, and no doubt it will be explained again. The going down into death, the coming up into resurrection life. At that moment, that Kairos moment, heaven is opened. It's what the Celts call a thin place. Heaven and earth are very near. There's a lot of evidence all around the world that there are thin places where uniquely God has chosen to speak. Not thin in a geographical or in a scientific sense, but thin in the sense that heaven and earth come very close. And God communicates. And he communicates over his son. I've just had my son with Him, with me from Australia. I am proud beyond the <coughs> words of my son. And I don't mind you knowing that. And I've told him, So he's in no doubt what dad thinks and feels. This is father speaking. And he says two incredible things. He said, first of all, and obviously God knew his Bible very well. That's not a surprise, is it? Yeah, he did know his Bible very well. And he quotes from the scripture. He quotes from, first of all, from Psalm 2. This is my beloved son. Now, if you go back into the Psalms, you will know several of the Psalms. I was going to say many, but that's perhaps an exaggeration. Several of the Psalms are what we call messianic. They pre um, pre (laughs) not prejudged, almost preordained, neither preordained. They prefigure, I suppose, Jesus' is coming or they find their full fulfillment in the coming of Jesus. And if you look at Psalm 2, that's exactly it. And it's a picture of the messianic reign of Jesus as a mighty king and his promised coming. This is my beloved son. You'd have thought that was enough to say. But so you are in no doubt. And so Jesus and the disciples were in no doubt. God says something else. He says, in you, let me read the scripture exactly. In you, or in him, I am well pleased. And he's quoting from another part of his his book. Here it is. And he's quoting from uh, Isaiah 42. Again, again, most of you know in Isaiah there are seven, eight, well, maybe more passages that are what we call messianic. They picture Jesus. Not that they don't actually have something spiritually and psychologically and socially to say in that context through Isaiah, but they're actually looking forward fully to Jesus. And if you go and read Isaiah 42 you'll read about the cross about a suffering Messiah see I sat with Jews as well as Messianic Jews just two years ago I was introduced to a Jewish rabbi I suppose you would call him in language that we use and I asked him about Yeshua, Jesus. And he said to me, and he was not a believer, he was not a messianic believer. He said, we did not recognize him when he came. And if he came again in the same way, we would not recognize him. Because he came... To die. They wanted one to come to reign. Of course, that will happen. I thought you were going to do something on the second coming today, so this is my little bit. Jesus is coming to reign. I thought it would be in my lifetime. I still believe it could be. I remember Rachel and I. We were going to be. Uh, Rachel was going to be a missionary, and she broke up with me because I wasn't going to be a missionary. Isn't it ironic? Because I said to her, "Jesus will be back before that." I've been wrong about other things too. But listen, you look at Syria, you look at Africa, you look at inequality, you look at the brokenness of this world and your heart cries out, Maranatha, please Lord, come back soon. It's a hell of a mess, the world, isn't it? It really is. I see it all the time, the thing you can pray for me when I'm in Uganda, it is so hard if you have any sensitivity of heart, to meet poverty, to meet degradation, to meet things that, well, I'm glad you've never seen. It's heartbreaking to me, but to God? And there's only one ultimate answer, and that is, of course, the return. Of Jesus. So God the Father was telling Jesus, though Jesus knew, in terms of his self-identity, that he was coming to die. But he knew that. How would you manage to live if you knew that the purpose of your life was to die in your early 30s? Have a darling daughter who is in heaven. In her 30s. God's given me 70 years plus and please God, another 20. I don't know. I doubt it. But Jesus knew all the time, even from when he went to the temple at 12, that he was living to die. I don't know how you deal with that sense of self-awareness. Couldn't even begin to get your head around that. Intellectually, let alone emotionally. So Jesus knew that he had come to die. Time has raced away. I've got three applications that bring this back home. Number one, Richard said it clearly. I repeat it, says not party line, though it is party line. Why in God's name are you not baptized, if you're not? Jesus was. I have been. Fifteen years old, remember giving my life to God, remember going through the waters of baptism, and it is still true today, what I said then, that God can do what he likes with my life. Yes? That's what we say when we get baptized. I'm dead, because I'm alive. Number two, style of ministry. You said it very clearly. I've been backing the healing on the street passionately in prayer, because healing has always been central to ministry for me. And it's not that we're all meant to be doing that but please think incarnationally about what you do as a Christian. We are not calling people to be with us, though we are. But we're actually, if we're modeling what Jesus did, we're actually going incarnate. You see, God came where we are. We tend to go say to people, come where we are. That's not the model. This is a New Testament incarnational model. Please don't think I'm, not, I'm saying something like you shouldn't invite people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying, think about your style of ministry. You go where God tells you to go. I mustn't preach or steal next, well, it won't be next Sunday. Well, it will be on the 17th. It'll be the Sunday before I go to Uganda. But baptism is a statement of commitment. Communion is a statement of continuity, if you like. But every time you make a commitment to God, it will be tested. You have an enemy. He will lie to you. He will distort the truth. He will do all sorts of things. But you are called as Jesus was to be a baptized believer who lives exclusively for God. Thank you.